0: Well, hi everybody, this is Phil Town.
1: This is Danielle Town. And we're
0: here for the podcast, Invested.
1: Invested, where we we talk about being invested in your life and your money.
0: Yeah, we sort of are taking on um, a lot of standard paradigms about the market. Um, You're gonna hear that uh, from everybody out there that you must take higher risk to get a higher reward. You're gonna hear that the market is efficient and that the price of stocks is what they're worth. And you're gonna hear that nobody can beat the market. And you're going to hear that.
1: But not here. uh, But not here. You're not going to
0: hear any of that here. We're in the the Warren Buffett, Ben Graham, Charlie Munger school of investing that's commonly known and incorrectly known as value investing. And it's incorrectly known as value investing because value investing has come to be thought of as buy a whole bunch of things um, with low P.E. ratios. In other words, you're going to buy them at a cheap price. But that may not reflect anything about the relationship between the price and the value. And Charlie Munger came in a bunch of years ago and and convinced Warren Buffett that the better way to go is to buy really good companies at a really fair price.
1: Isn't original value investing something like you do that, but with a ton of companies?
0: Yes. Ben Graham would buy up to 200 companies. And you can see that there's good value investors out there who will buy you know, 50 companies, 80 companies, 100 companies. But Warren Buffett has 70% of his portfolio or 60% of his portfolio in four or five companies. Hmm. And that's the sign of a, an investor that's what I would consider a super investor um, in the tradition of Warren Buffett. Um, and there's not a really good name for it. it it's not really value investing, it's maybe Deep value investing that might be right.
1: Well, so it sounds like it's exactly the same as buying 200 companies. You just buy four instead of 200. Well, yeah, but But with the same principles.
0: The the basic principles would be the same, but the commitment level is extremely different.
1: (laughs) That sounds (laughs) right. Sounds true. In other words, a
0: a person that's got a portfolio of 100 companies isn't um, really deeply invested in any one company that that has to be right, okay? So you've got 100 companies, each one represents 1% of your portfolio. And so a value investor who does that isn't really remarkably different in terms of how they're going about things than someone who thinks the market's efficient and is just buying a big diversified portfolio. Hmm. And the results for value investors that buy a large number of companies like that have been, you know, not that great. Uh, Not significantly, gigantically above the market like Buffett and Munger and a lot of the people that follow this more deep value view. Yeah,
1: I mean, if you're hugely diversified, which I would call 200 companies hugely diversified, hugely, right? right. Um, yeah, you're, it's going to be difficult to beat the market by much because you're essentially tracking most of the market. Right. I mean, unless your 200 companies are all in to one industry or two industries or something like that.
0: Right, exactly. And And as a result... There's a categorically different way of doing things when you're doing it the way Buffett does it, or the or Munger. And that's what we're teaching and and that's what we try to do out there. And um, That's what you're teaching. Yep. That's what I'm (laughs) teaching. (laughs) And that's what Danielle is, you know, alternately criticizing and (laughs) I'm not trying to criticize. I'm just trying
1: to call it out when it doesn't make any sense, which you know, it doesn't make any sense to me a lot of the time.
0: Okay. Well, fair enough. And, 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 and that's
1: why we keep talking about valuation. Yeah. Because
0: <laughs> and we intend it to does get through not make today. any
1: sense to me. Yeah. So we've been like distracted a little bit, I would say, by extremely interesting topics like risky cooling volatility, like robo-advisors. So I think it's good that we took a, a little bit of a tangent and went off and talked about those things. I think it was due uh-huh. Um, but I want to get back to valuation All right. because I think it's a really important basis of this method of investing and I don't understand it. So I would like to talk about it. It
0: is really where the rubber meets the road, because if we refer back to Charlie's initial four uh, critical points, you know, that you have to have to do this kind of investing. The first point is, are you capable of understanding? The second one is, does the company have intrinsic qualities that protect it from competition? Third, do you like the management team? And fourth, does it have a margin of safety? The fourth thing here is um, extremely important because in order to know if you have a margin of safety, you have to know what the value of the business is.
1: Yeah. Yeah which is really difficult. At least it seems really difficult to me. There are so many different numbers on those financial statements, and you hear different things from different people about which ones are the most important ones.
0: Yeah, and I got to tell you, if it wasn't, you know, I, I'm not going to disagree with you here. I'm not going to, you know, sort of just kind of dance around this. It is difficult, and there are entire courses on this kind of thing in in MBA programs, and a lot of Uh, of hard work goes by people who, uh, you know, into this idea of valuation by people whose profession it is to evaluate a stock. And there's thousands of people out there who are making, you know, very good incomes and their job Mm -hmm. is to figure out the value of stuff. Yeah,
1: they full-time figure out the value of stuff. That's
0: what they do. In fact, they're (laughs) full-time figuring out the value of stuff in just their industries.
1: Yeah. You know,
0: they're really (laughs) focused because they want to have an edge and provide that edge of analysis to um, the people that they support in their mutual funds or in pension funds. So let's not, let's not underplay what, how, how difficult this is. This is very, very difficult. And so why would we ever think that just a regular person who's got another full-time job and is raising a family could ever figure out the value of a business better than somebody that's a professional?
1: Well, I don't know if I could figure it out better. What I'd like to know is if I could figure it out.
0: Okay, fair enough. Can you figure it out? And
1: but I mean, if I can figure it out better, I'll take it.
0: Sure. Right. right. So, well, let's just start with this. You're not going to figure it out better. <laughs> <laughs> let's just get that right. Okay. You're not going to figure it out better. And and we we refer back, you know, to long ago when we started talking about how would we ever buy a business that's actually on sale. If if everybody knows what the value of the business is at least as well as we do and probably better, why would it go on sale? If you know, if they know the value is ten dollars, why would they ever sell something for five? And that, of course, is the very heart and soul of modern portfolio theory. The, the modern portfolio theory says that they wouldn't do that.
1: Yeah, that the information is always involved included in the stock price at any given moment right
0: that there's no emotion involved in investing whatsoever
1: and now i see why we took this tangent off into risk equals volatilities because that's exactly where we i think we had this exact conversation Because that's where you go with it. It's like, okay, if that's true, and if the information is included in the price of the stock at any given moment, then that means there is information out there that people are using to price the stock and buy or sell it. Well, like nobody prices the stock. It's just based on buying or selling. So it would make total sense that yes, yes, risk equals volatility, and that the risk is included in the price. And I get that. Like that does make sense to me That if there's, you know, what I think what you're about to talk about are events changing the price and driving the price down while the value of the company remains uh, long term, which is important, Yes, the same. But I get that the reason the price is going down is that there's this event happening in the company and therefore certain investors and probably even most investors think that that company is a sell instead of a buy because of that event, right. because they're on a short-term horizon. Right. So I totally get that. So I, in a way, you're going to hate this, but in a way, I kind of get the efficient market theory, the efficient market hypothesis idea. If you're looking at it in a short term, and short term could be like 10 minutes.
0: Or it could be a year.
1: Short term could be a year. Sure. Okay. They would look
0: at it and say, um, you know, anything... Um, that's going to happen over the next year, is fine, right? I can I can adjust for that. Mm-hmm. But if it's longer than that, then I'm not fine.
1: Yeah, because the uh, fund managers have to report to their and, and I, their investors. And
0: as a fund manager, I know that there's an event going on that's significantly increasing the the risk perception of risk by increasing the uncertainty about the short term. Earnings, right. cash of this company.
1: And you don't know how long it's going to take to recover. If you don't.
0: No. If you don't. And of course, you know we're not God, so at least most of us aren't. So we can't look down from a high, on high and say, oh, yeah, well, I absolutely know that this T-shirt company will recover in two years. We're exactly. going to stipulate there's no such thing as absolutely.
1: Exactly. Or like we've been talking about Chipotle a lot. Two months ago, we were talking about how they were totally going to recover from this E. coli thing, and now they've had another one. They had another
0: one, and so, the stock just got cratered here. Yeah, right.
1: So I see why. Okay, this is all coming back to me. I see why we went down the risk equals volatil- volatility question. Um, so as we're talking about valuation, I get why. Well, you you should
0: get why. Oh, okay. I mean, it's been <laughs> this has been a very very popular. Uh, paradigm for investing for 40 to 50 years now, they've awarded two or three Nobel prizes for the math behind this. It absolutely makes sense. It makes sense. And so if, if something's making sense and you, they've got good math, you should be able to understand it. The problem is that the math is right. It's just that the, the, the theoretical foundation of the entire theory is that no one is irrational enough, particularly as a professional investor, to sell you something worth 10 for $5. They just won't do it.
1: Yeah, so so the theory goes, therefore, it's worth five.
0: Yes, therefore it's worth five. Because that's what it's selling. Because nobody's stupid enough, particularly not really smart people from Wharton and Harvard, to sell you 10 for five bucks. Therefore, it has to be worth
1: $5. And of course, the problem- And of course, in a short-term view, they're right. They're at, right. That, at that moment, if you cannot buy it for, or you cannot sell it for ten, then it is worth five.
0: Yeah, they're right, and it's also stupidly wrong all at the same time. <laughs> because the value of a business, we need to understand what, where does the value of a business come from? In other words, oh. if they're if they're thinking this is worth ten, what does it mean worth ten? Yeah,
1: what, what does it that? Mean? What does that mean?
0: What it means is. That the cash flow of that business that I'm going to get as an owner, I'm willing into the, the future is stacking up big enough over the next future time. Um, however long I'm going to own the business is stacking up this cash flow. And if I take the sum total of that cash flow and bring it back to today, how much am I willing to pay for that stack of future cash?
1: All right. What I hear you saying is that there's some kind of, uh, this doesn't quite make sense, but I'm going to use it anyway. There's some kind of like outside money information that you're talking about involved in the value of the business that is separate from what you can buy or sell it for. Exactly. Like this cash flow thing that's sort of like over here on the right side of things is separate in a way from the buying and selling prices yeah. over here on the left side of things. Right.
0: Well, I mean, think about a lot of things that we buy and sell, like uh, let's let's say, um, you know, paintings that you like. There's nothing outside of the market for those paintings that is affecting its value other than the market. Right. It's just, what are people paying for a Picasso?
1: We saw this cool painting yesterday, That's you and beautiful. I. Beautiful. Well, it was a Remington, right?
0: It was a Remington that that uh, Teddy Roosevelt commissioned for yeah. a book he was writing about the West. It
1: was, it was beautiful, really beautiful. And the <laughs> woman in the gallery said there's a sticker on it from the 1980s for, to sell it for $150,000, and now they want, I think, two, two, 250, 250 or, or 300 something. or something. Yeah. And that's it, it's just the market. It's just the, the market. market and time, and over time, it got more valuable in the market. Yep. The painting hasn't changed.
0: Nope, there's nothing outside, no intrinsic things moving around out there. Yeah. But with businesses, there is businesses have this outside thing, apart from what the market's paying for them, called cash flow. And aside from all of the esoteric reasons to own a business, the moral reasons to own a business, the moral reasons to create a business, the joy mm-hmm. of it, all of that, aside from all of that, an outside investor is going to pay for that future cash flow. That's what they're buying. They're not buying the, the beauty of a Picasso or a Remington up on your wall. They're buying the future cash flow. Hmm. Okay, so let's say a company has this future cash flow that's coming in every year at a million dollars a year, like clockwork, for and it's just going to do it forever. It's almost a monopoly, and you know every year it's going to be a million dollars coming in, in cash.
1: And that's after expenses. You're talking about like net income.
0: Yeah, net income.
1: Million dollars. Right. Okay.
0: Okay. So if we were to put this in real estate terms, for all of you real estate guys that would be like funds from operations. You, you've got the rent coming in, you subtract your taxes, your insurance, maintenance and management, and what you have left is your funds from operations. Okay. Okay, so that's, that money you can spend, you can choose to either, um, because you've already maintained the building, you fixed the roof, that's all already taken out,
1: Yeah.
0: what you've got left is money you can either spend to put another wing on the building and increase your rents later, or you can go buy a different building. So what we're looking at in businesses is called funds from operations in real estate. I mean, for most people who own a house and are renting it, they just call it the money I have left over at the end of the year. Yeah,
1: (laughs) (laughs) Or profit.
0: Yeah, or profit. Um, So like Charlie Munger basically says, hey, we like to buy businesses that can write us a check at the end of the year. Mm. Yeah, okay, that's what it's about. And the size of that check is what determines what we're willing to pay for it. So a company that's making a million dollars a year, a million dollars a year forever, so we know that in the next 10 years, it's going to make $10 million, straight up. And in 20 years, it's going to make $20 million. So how much would we pay for that? What is a reasonable price to pay today to get $20 million coming in at a million a year from this company? And so we start to try to figure out what that is. And that's the essence of, of business value.
1: Got it. Okay. that's different from something that doesn't create cash flow, whatever that thing would be.
0: Right. So let's say this million dollar business, and we can go into great detail about why I'm going to tell you why I'm going to tell you. But let's say you've got this business that million a year, million a year, millionaire, 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 and it's going to keep going for 100 years, you know, or longer. Well, today, I would probably be willing to pay, and this is a private business, right? So it's not liquid. I can't just sell it really quickly. I'm just going to buy it and own it for the rest of my life. I'd be willing to pay, you know, seven to eight million dollars for that. Okay. Right? Now you might ask, well, wait a second. You're going to get a hundred million dollars over the next hundred years. Why would someone sell it to you for seven to eight million? Why wouldn't they just keep it and get the hundred million?
1: Because they have to operate the business and they're tired.
0: Okay, but let's even make it a harder case
1: because there's risk there, involved in business. There you go. Ah. Oh. But it's both, I think.
0: Well, this person is not operating the business. They're 77 (laughs) years old. They they got people who've been running it. They don't do anything. They just pick up their check. (laughs) Okay? (laughs) It's a great business. And so the first reason you might want to take it is, and the most common reason, for a good business isn't the risk. The most common reason to sell it is because I want a chunk of money right now for other purposes.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: All right? So while I'm 77 years old and I could get a million a year forever, I don't have forever. And I would like to get the money out of this business, distribute it to my kids who need it to get their kids to college, and I'm willing to take a reasonable price, right? So what do we? how do we come to, to know what a reasonable price is? And it's there's actually a lot of different ways people propose, and you could definitely go to business schools and learn a lot of different things. But what I'm going to show you guys is just the real basic way of understanding a business, okay, from the point of view of a person who is buying a business and doesn't intend to sell it ever, which is Charlie Munger and Warren Buffett's point of view. Okay, all right.
1: And so, what what would this be called? Like a cash flow valuation?
0: Let's call it a. Let's call it a.
1: Does um, it have a name in the business world?
0: It does. Um, it has is a it lot called of something names. terrible
1: and complicated?
0: Yeah, so I'm just going to call it, what's the payback time on this business? <laughs> okay. <laughs> Since I wrote a whole book about yeah. it. <laughs> I'm nice tie-in <laughs> Nice tie into to the book. <laughs> All right, I'm just going to call it the payback time. And there's other names, but let's just use that. Because in essence, in, when you're buying a private business like this, you want to know how long it's going to take me to get my money out.
1: Yeah, that makes sense to me. Right? Um,
0: because of point number two you made, which is there's risk. I don't know if the business is going to go for hundred years for sure. I can't know that. Um, so there is risk involved here. And so in order to reduce my risk in a private business, I need to get my money off the table. That's the key.
1: The money you paid the money I for paid, the business. I want it back. You want back. to get that back.
0: I want it back. Will, was it Will Rogers back in the 30s? I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Will Rogers said, <laughs> hey, it, it ain't about the return on my money. It's about the return of my money, right? He's talking about being an investor that lost money in a lot of different deals. He says, I don't give a damn I'm about the return on my money. I just want my money back. So that's how Maybe we're going to look at it. should stop
1: doing those deals. Yeah, you just, should stop. Just one idea.
0: Famous people get into really crazy deals. <laughs> so that's the key thing right okay. there.
1: Okay, so we, we, uh, we started with our lemonade stand. We did. Oh, so many episodes ago.
0: Oh, yes, we did.
1: And I'm just going to recap it.
0: Okay, shoot.
1: Um, okay, so guys, this is a lemonade stand. We're trying to keep it super simple, mostly for me. And it has sales of 10. Tell me if I skip anything important, by the way, right. but this is all from my notes. Sales of $10. The cost of goods sold is $3. So that's like the lemons and the sugar and the water and stuff. So you have a gross profit of $7. Then there are general expenses of $1. And I don't know what that could be, but maybe you have to pay mom to take you to the store or something.
0: It's your sales and general and administrative costs.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. Lot, lots of admin. On yeah. the, the am <laughs> stand. So you have a net earnings of $6, which is also the same as EBITDA, which is earnings before... I always forget what the I is. What's the I? Interest. Interest. Earnings before interest, taxes, depreciation, and amortization. Then, because we like our lemonade stand, we have some capital expenses, which is purchase of property and equipment, which would be like buying a new stand.
0: Buying a new stand. Or a new pitcher. Yeah.
1: Or a new lemon squeezer.
0: Well, it falls into two categories, actually. So let me just... Jump in here because we really need to distinguish. This purchase of property and equipment um, is not an expense to the company because these things are going to last a long time. So the IRS won't let you just write it off. You have to write it off means you subtract it from your earnings and don't have to pay taxes on that portion. So the IRS will let you depreciate this or amortize the ownership of this over a period of time. So um, what we have to do is understand how much we really have to buy back every year. So if we're breaking pitchers every year, we we need to buy more pitchers. Um, you know, fix the roof of the lemonade stand occasionally.
1: Mm-hmm. You know,
0: just do maintenance stuff. We call that maintenance capital expense. Okay. And let's say in our lemonade stand that that's a dollar of the two dollars, and that um, the other dollar is for growing the lemonade stand, which is buying new stands and leasing new. P- Places to put the stand or whatever. So we have basically two dollars of purchase of property and equipment, but only one of those dollars is maintenance, and that's important.
1: Why is that important? Well, because
0: we ended up with four dollars as free cash flow. If you remember, right? Mm
1: -hmm. We had six dollars of net, yep,
0: and we took off two dollars of uh, of PP&E, yep, and we have four dollars left, which we called free cash flow. Well, what we want to know in terms of value in the business is definitely, you know, what's our free cash flow, but also we want to treat it a little bit like a piece of real estate, and we want to know kind of what the funds from operations are, which don't include adding the wing to the real estate. They don't include oh, buying I see another what you're getting house. At. Got it. Right. So we want so to. So you know, want to know
1: how much it costs to just operate the business, like buying the new pictures exactly, that you need? Exactly. But not actually improving the business.
0: Exactly. So but if you think of this in real estate improving terms... Improving
1: the business would be something like buying another lemonade stand, right? right that right. would be sort of like putting a new wing on the house. But like fixing the roof of the lemonade stand, that would just be maintenance.
0: Right. So we're going to separate those two. Okay, okay. And, there, and this is what Buffett does. He separates those two out to come to an understanding of what does this look like? What does this business look like? In, in terms that are easy to understand for a person that invests in real estate, say. Mm -hmm. So if we were to buy real estate, we would get in a certain amount of rent, and in our example here for the lemonade stand, that rent is, let's say, $10, okay? That's what we're getting If we rent it out? No, no, sorry, I'm being confusing, I think. I'm gonna compare the revenue stream on a lemonade stand to renting renting a house house. that you own. Because if you think about it, the rent is your revenue stream. Yeah. From your little business. Yeah. Your business is renting the house. Yeah. Okay. So now you get this revenue stream of $10. And now what do you have to take off for expenses? Well, in the lemonade stand, you got lemons and sugar. Over at the house, you have the, um, let's see, you've got taxes to pay to the property tax. You've got insurance that you have to do. Um, There's probably some costs to
1: renting it.
0: Yeah, probably some management costs. Okay. So those would be your expenses. Mm-hmm. And those correspond rather nicely to the expenses of running our lemonade stand, which would include... Um,
1: cost of goods sold.
0: Cost of goods sold and... Admin. Admin, which is a little bit, the ma- you know, management. Yeah. And then you end up with this net stuff, right? Net. Mm-hmm. Okay. And we came up with... What did we come up with on the lemonade stand? Six dollars. Six dollars. Okay. But if we go back to our real estate example, we also know we have to maintain our house. Mm
1: -hmm. So
0: this is called maintenance capital expenditures. And that means I got to go up and fix the roof, you know, every 10 years. So I'm going to, I'm going to put something into my expenses for that. Mm -hmm. All right. And over here at our lemonade stand, we're calling it, you know, repairing and replacing pitchers and other equipment that lasts more than a year. We're going to replace that. And that was just $1. $1. So now we've got $6 of net income, minus the dollar of maintenance, and we have $5 left. This, if we we looked at it in the form of a house, we would say, okay, I've got $10 of rent, minus um, the $3 of admin and um, expenditures on, on, on the insurance and taxes, And I've also got another dollar in management, so I'm down to $6. And then I've got to maintain the house, which is another dollar, so I'm down to $5. So $5 is our FFO, funds from operations in a real estate deal, and it's our owner, this is the new definition, owner cash flow. It's $5 in our deal here. So owner cash flow and funds from operations should be about the same kind of number. They're using the same sorts of things that we're writing off. So, in this real simple little lemonade stand, or our real simple little house we're renting, we end up with $5. Okay,
1: right. so just to be clear, yeah. we are now using a different number than we did in our previous example. Just, I just want everyone to be clear as they're listening to the podcasts. This is a change. You're changing it. I now. am. Okay, because I'm, 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 I'm changing it on my notes here as you go along. So, I'm, instead of my... Where do I have it? My free cash flow I had as $4. Oh, but maybe we're not there yet.
0: We went right on by it. And the reason is is because you've made a change here in what you were saying about free cash flow, or sorry, about the expenditures to this point. You changed a little bit about that $2 that we're spending on PP&E. You said it's you know replacing equipment, but it's also building new stands.
1: Oh, I did not say that, but you said that.
0: Okay, well, I'm gonna say that.
1: Yeah, so that, okay, so we're just changing the numbers to make it, to separate out those two dollars.
0: Right, we're okay. separating that out so that we're not gonna consider as part of the cost of doing business for our, our rent, building another wing on the house,
1: mm-hmm. okay? Yeah, that makes sense.
0: All right, okay. now the reason we're going through all this is because what we wanna do is try to figure out if we're looking at a house to buy that we're gonna rent out, we're going to get these numbers from the current owner. And we want him to separate out what he's what he's spent in the past on building out the new wing
1: yeah, from yeah.
0: everything he's doing to maintain the building.
1: Okay, so here's what I've got for cash flow from last time, which was the top line is your net earnings, which is $6. So your operating cash is $6. Purchase of property and equipment is now $1 instead of $2. Nope. Correct?
0: Nope. change changed the definition. <clears throat> Purchase of property and equipment falls into two categories. Category one is growth and category two is maintenance. So we are going to take out the growth piece, which PP&E was $2 before. Mm-hmm. All right, now we're removing the growth part because we want to get an idea of what this thing is producing just all by itself, not looking how it's going to build out in the future. And so we've taken uh, in our example... We're saying it costs $1 to maintain this, this current business, and the other dollar is going to expand it.
1: Understood. All right. Completely understand.
0: PPE so, PP&E is both growth and maintenance, so we're going to give it a new name. We're subtracting $1, and we're calling that $1 maintenance capex. Maintenance capital expense, which is shortened to maintenance capex. Okay. That $1.
1: Do you want us to use $1 or $2 in this free cash flow calculation? In
0: the free cash flow calculation, we're going to use both, $2.
1: So $2 total. Yeah. Okay, got it. All right. Okay, so all we're doing then, is this correct? All we're doing is instead of having one line on my notes that says purchase of property and equipment, now it has two lines and it says maintenance capex and what do you call it? Growth capex? Growth capex. Right. And those together equal purchase of property and equipment of $2. Right. Now,
0: let me explain why free cash flow and owner cash flow are different. Free cash flow includes the money we're spending on growth.
1: Oh, I see where you're going. Owner cash flow we have is $5 Mm because it only had the $1 of the maintenance. Right. And free cash flow includes both kinds of purchase of property and equipment. So we have $4 on that one. Right and you're saying they're different for a reason.
0: Right, so what's left after we spend money on uh, growth is what we're gonna call free cash flow, okay? But what we really wanna know is owner cash flow in the pocket today because we're trying to figure out the value of the business. If you
1: choose not to grow it. Right. Owner cash flow is without growth.
0: See that way, that's a really good point. If we choose not to grow it, the reason we're calling it owner's cash flow is because we have a choice. Do I wanna grow this building and, and put on another wing or do I want to buy a different building? Or maybe I'll buy a bond with that money. In other words, as owner cash flow should be allocated completely up to my choice as the owner, whether I'm putting it back in to grow that business or not.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: That's why it's an important number.
1: Yeah, that makes a lot. I'm glad that you delineated those, two because I think... Um whether, whether and this is important as you, I think, look at companies that are public, whether or not they're growing their business. Like, what's going on with their money? Is it going to just maintenance or is it going to growth? Because I get what you're saying. Those are very different things.
0: Right, 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 right.
1: Okay, this has been really good. I'm glad that we separated those out. Can we take a break and next week come back and finish our review of the lemonade stand and then go into actual evaluation?
0: Okay, can, can we just take one more step and not leave people hanging too badly here? One little brief step, <laughs> okay, just for another minute, and then have you think about it for a few days? Yes. Okay, what I'd like to do then is suggest that we use a very specific number that we're going to teach you about next week. That's number used in real estate to just roughly figure out what the prices are on real estate relative uh, over time. And that number is called the capitalization rate or cap rate. So what we do when we're trying to buy a piece of real estate is we try to buy real estate at a 10 capitalization rate. And what that means is if I whatever I pay for this building, I want a 10% return in cash starting this year without changing anything, without fixing it up, without putting in new renters or tenants. I'm going to buy it as is and i want to get 10% on my money immediately okay. okay yeah that 10% we've termed a cap rate and it just means i'm buying at a 10% return on my cash money that i put into this deal and since we're just going to do all cash we're not going to borrow any money it's it's 10% on my all on the purchase price so that means if i buy a building with a 12 cap i'm getting a 12% return on on my on the purchase price of the building. If I buy a building with a 16 cap, I'm getting a 16% return on the purchase price on the building. If I buy it on a four cap, I'm getting a 4% return on the purchase price of the building. So the higher the cap rate, the higher my immediate return that I'm getting cash on cash.
1: Got it. All right. I have a lot of questions about that.
0: I know, and good (laughs) thing we're gonna do this next (laughs) week. That's why I
1: kind of wanted to, to, to push it to when we have more time.
0: Because our lemonade stand is doing $5. Yeah. Of cash that, well, that I'm going to get.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's one of my questions. And so, Where does the cap rate go? Like, what number does the cap rate go on?
0: It's going on that funds from operations or what we're calling owner cash flow. And I am going to know going into this deal that I am looking to get at least a 10 cap. So if I know I'm getting $5 of owner cash, then I know that that represents a 10% return on the money I'm going to pay for it. And that means I'm going to pay 50 bucks or I'm willing to look at it at that $50 price range. And we just valued the business. We just said, this is about a $50 business. It's a fair price, 50 bucks.
1: I'm going to accept that and I'm going to let it lie. (laughs)
0: Okay. We'll leave that for now for you to chew on.
1: We are going to chew on that a lot next time. (laughs) Right on. Thanks, everybody. Thank you, guys. Look forward to talking next week. We'll continue with our lemonade stand. We will. I swear it. This We're getting into the weeds now. <laughs> Time to go play.
0: Bye. Hey, thanks for listening to Invested, the Rule One podcast. If you like this episode, you can always get our show notes and more details and links to the resources we discussed at investedpodcast.com. Also, as long as you're online, head on over to investedpodcast.com slash workshop for details on an upcoming three-day live workshop that I'm hosting all you got to do to go is enter the special podcast code STOCKPILE, that's S T O C K P I L E, stockpile, into the application form, and you guys can attend for free. So, everything discussed on this show is either my opinion or it's Danielle's opinion. And it is not to be taken as investment advice because I am not your investment advisor, nor have I considered your personal situation as your fiduciary. This podcast is for your entertainment and education only, and I really do hope you've enjoyed it. So until next week, it's time to go play. See ya.